Well, this morning we begin a new series in the book of Galatians, and my aim this morning is rather simple. It's just to introduce you to this life-changing book, to, to give you this scoop on the book of Galatians. You see, Galatians is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ because the book of Galatians is all about our freedom in Christ. And this gospel not only brings us into the kingdom of God, this same gospel helps us to live as citizens of this kingdom. So, Christ the King Church, on the very outset, I want to convince you of this. We're all in desperate need of the good news that the book of Galatians declares. Ongoing, desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's life-changing news. And speaking of news, here we are in the fall, and there are young people who have gone back to school all over the nation. And some of those young people are taking introductory to journalism classes. How to be a reporter of important news. And in order to write a headline, a catching front page headline, any journalist student needs to know the five W's and the H of a story. The who, what, when, where, why, and how of some kind of event. And so this morning, by way of an introductory scoop on the book of Galatians, I'm going to walk us through the who, what, when, where, why, and how of this good news, breaking news, life-changing news. The book of Galatians is the good news of what God has done through the cross of Jesus Christ. So let's, let's start by talking about the who of the book of Galatians. And if you haven't already, would you open up to the book of Galatians, and in the very first verse, we learn about the person who wrote this, Paul, an apostle. We're going to learn in chapter 2 a little bit more about Paul's story. He, he was a Jew, and he was converted to Christ. That history is in Acts chapter 9. And part of his conversion was the risen Christ calling him to proclaim Christ to non-Jews, Gentiles. And so what we have here is Paul writing this letter to the book, to the Galatians. It's originally a, le a letter to a group of churches because he couldn't be there with them. And he became aware of something going on in these churches. And so out of love for them, he writes the letter to these Galatian churches. So what you learn from Acts is that Paul was this apostolic missionary. He would travel from city to city, and he would preach Christ in these cities. And as people responded by faith to what they were hearing, what God had done for them through Christ, he would gather all those who became Christians into a group of people called a church. And then he would establish that church on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll learn more about Paul as we make our way through the book of Galatians. But here's a little bit about these Galatians. Notice in 1-2, 
Paul says, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Verse 2, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Not just one church, more than one church, several. And these churches in Galatia were primarily made up of Gentiles, non-Jews who had heard the gospel and having responded by faith that they had become Christians, they had become followers of Jesus. And so what this letter is, is a letter to, to them and all these churches. Tim Keller, in his very helpful commentary on the book of Galatians, says that there were social and racial divisions in the churches of Galatia because there are also Jews. There's Jewish synagogues all throughout the Mediterranean basin in the first century. And so Paul would go first to preach the gospel in a synagogue, and if there wasn't a receptivity among the Jews, he would go then to the Gentiles, preach the gospel to them. So what you need to understand is that the ground zero of the gospel itself took place in Jerusalem. The very first Christians were Jewish Christians, but the gospel quickly spread to Gentiles in the areas surrounding Jerusalem, Ju Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the age, ends of the world. And what happened as a result of that is that you would have churches comprised both of Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. And so there became some social and racial challenges for these churches to work through. For example, did a Gentile need to become a practicing Jew in order to be made right with God? That's what they're wrestling with. Now, there was also a particular group of people in Galatia that were teaching something. They were insisting that Gentile Christians had to adopt the outward practices of the Mosaic law. For example, they needed to be circumcised. They needed to observe some food restrictions. They needed to observe Jewish holy days. So that means if you were a Gentile working in Iconium in Galatia, you needed to take time away in order to get to Yom Kippur. What these teachers in Galatia were saying, though, is that in order for you to be right with God, Gentiles, not only do you have to believe in Jesus, but you had to obey the law of Moses, and then you will be right with God. So he's writing to these Christians, Paul is, because he's gotten wind of this false teaching. And he's writing to them because they're being disturbed by this false teaching. It's called legalism. Which brings me to not just the who, but now the what. And we see the what in verses 6 through 9 of chapter 1. Paul skips over any kind of thanksgiving for this church, which is typical in his other letters. He goes right from greetings to now getting down to business. Listen to what he says. I am astonished 
that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. This gets at the what of the, 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 the book of Galatians. You might be thinking in your, in your pew right now, hey, so, so, I mean, what's the big deal, seriously? We, we've got some confusion maybe in the churches of Galatia. I mean, it makes sense that there'd be some confusion between Jews and Gentiles who've come to Christ about what is our responsibility to the law of Moses. I mean, many of us have to wrestle through what is our responsibility to the law of Moses. Maybe you're just kind of thinking, well, that's not a big deal. Just, just work it out. Figure it out. But when you read verses 6 and 7, are you picking up on the urgency of the Apostle Paul? I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. There is urgency here. Great concern. What is going on, what's being taught in these churches in Galatia is far more dangerous than what we tend to think. This isn't just simply conduct. These teachers were insisting on a different gospel. Not the gospel of grace. They were insisting on a quote-unquote gospel of works. A distorted gospel is contrary to the gospel of grace, the true gospel. A distorted gospel is no gospel at all. It is not good news. The Apostle Paul has come to realize that what is at stake here in these churches in Galatia with this teaching of a contrary gospel is the very nature of salvation. How a sinner is made right with God. The false teachers in Galatia were saying that you can believe in Jesus, yeah, but in addition to that, you need to be circumcised or you need to observe the Jewish holy days and then you'll be right with God. That's not good news. That's a salvation that depends on human effort. A gospel of works, quote-unquote gospel, cannot free sinners. It only enslaves them more. And what you're going to see with this legalism is, legalism is the gospel plus obedience equals right standing with God. And that's not the gospel of grace. In chapter 2, verse 21, the Apostle Paul puts it this way, if righteousness, if right standing with God, if being right with God, if that were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. You see, obeying religious rules or even secular rules you cannot obey your way into right standing with God. And what Paul does in the book of Galatians 
is he exposes this contrary gospel, which is no gospel at all, and then he explains the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the remedy of a false gospel that enslaves is the proclamation of the true gospel which frees. That's what we see Paul doing all throughout the book of Galatians. You see it in 1-3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's gospel. If you turn to 3, 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, quote, Cursed is everyone who hangs hanged on a tree, unquote, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Gospel! 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are not a longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Gospel! And then we get to 6, 13 and 16. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Gospel. This book, the what of this book, is correcting a false teaching, a false gospel. And what was at stake then is at stake today because there continues to be distortions of the gospel. There's this thinking that we can all default into in this room. Thinking that, okay, faith in Jesus plus some kind of obedience on my behalf will keep me in right standing with God. That is illegalism. Let me try to help you ferret this out a little bit. On what basis does God love you? Maybe you're working through something like this. Anyone in the room wondering if God still loves you because you haven't read your Bible in three weeks? It's a legalism. Is anyone in the room wondering if God still loves you because you haven't shared your faith with anybody? Is anyone in the room wondering if God still loves you because you just haven't been consistent in your attendance on a Sunday morning service? Is anyone in the room wondering if God still loves you because you haven't quit smoking yet? As though your salvation depends on whether you're smoking or not. Paul is exposing legalism for what it is, and he's providing the remedy in the one true gospel. 
what God has done through Jesus Christ, period. Nothing we can add to that. And we must certainly not detract from that. Brothers and sisters, when we start thinking that God's love for us, that our standing with Him is somehow dependent on our obedience to Him, we are slipping down the slope of legalism. And you're no longer believing in the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the what of this book. The when. I'm not going to bore you with this. If you want to know more details on this, come after me. Come up and after talk to me about this. But Galatians was most likely written around 48 AD. And the reason for that is it comes right after his first missionary journey to the area in which Galatian, Galatia was, and that was around 47, 48. You can read that in Acts 13 and 14. But it also takes place before the Council of Jerusalem, which is Acts 15. Now, the reason why that is important because it helps us to locate the history in Galatians chapter 2. So for all purposes now, we're operating under the fact that this letter was written in AD 48, which makes it a really old letter. But this letter, written nearly 2,000 years ago, is as relevant today for us Gentiles as it was then for those Gentiles. It's about freedom. The where. Who, what, when, where. You see in verse 2 of chapter 1, to the churches in Galatia. Again, Acts 13 and 14, you read about Paul moving from Pisidian Antioch to Iconium to Lystra, all these cities in the region of Galatia, and this region of Galatia was filled with Celtic folk who had come down decades, if not centuries before. It was a Gentile region with synagogues interspersed throughout. But, but here's why I want you to know this. This was written to real people in a real place with real spiritual needs, dealing with a real problem that was affecting their experience of the gospel and their freedom in Christ. The Gentiles living in Galatia in 48 AD, well, we have a lot in common with them as Gentiles living in Kenosha in 2019. We all need to be reminded of the gospel because we all have this tendency to default into a legalism. The gospel of Jesus Christ transcends time and space. It's the same gospel preached in Galatia as we're preaching here. Same gospel. Same temptations. That's the where. Now the why. I've been looking forward to saying this. The why. If you turn in your Bibles to Galatians 5.1, this is, Paul is moving in an argument, and, and this is one of those clincher 
clincher summary statements. Why? Why do we need the book of Galatians? For freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom. That's why. Freedom in Christ. 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. The Apostle Paul includes himself. It was for freedom. Now, how you define freedom matters incredibly at this point. Because if you think freedom is simply being released from any kind of obligation so that you can do whatever you want, that is not the freedom in the book of Galatians. The freedom in the book of Galatians is being freed from enslavement in order to be freed to truly live. And what we are to truly live for is not ourselves. If you flip back to Galatians chapter 1, verses verse 4 and 5, you start the, the gospel, the earliest proclamation in Galatians of the gospel, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's it. That's where it starts. We're freed to live for the glory of God. The gospel frees us to live for the glory of God. It's true freedom. But it's just not that. As we make our way through the book of Galatians, if you turn in your book of Galatians to 5.13, we're told, Billy quoted this in his prayer, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The freedom of the book of Galatians in which Jesus shed his blood so that we can experience is to live for God's glory and live for the good of others, the first and second greatest commandment. For me to live is Christ, Paul says in Philippians. I've been crucified with Christ he says in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Freedom is not to live for yourself. Gospel freedom is to live for God and the good of others. And we must stand firm in it. The gospel has freed us to live for God. That's what's at stake. Now the how. That's why this, that's why this book is so important. Your freedom is dependent on it, on the gospel. How? How does it work out? Well, Galatians, you can break it generally into three sections. Chapter 1 and 2, we, the gospel, we see the gospel in Paul's authority. What gives him the chops to be able to say this kind of stuff to these churches? And he points to the gospel. And then 
chapters 3 and 4, which is the very theological heart of this book. It's all about the gospel and our identity. What God has done through Jesus Christ to justify us and to adopt us. It's the very basis for our freedom in Christ. And then in chapters 5 and 6, it's the gospel and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Gospel living. So you can summarize Galatians as gospel authority, gospel identity, gospel living. It's all about the gospel. Because this is all about freedom. If I were to sum up the whole book of Galatians in one sentence, it would be this. The gospel of Jesus Christ and only the gospel of Jesus Christ is able to set us free to live and keep living for God's glory and the good of others. It's freedom. We need Galatians because we need constant reminding of our freedom in Christ. So now, here's what I like to do. I want to do what was taking place in the churches of Galatia. They would receive this letter and then they would read it out loud to the church. And so on our outset of this series, I'm going to read for you the book of Galatia in its entirety. It's going to take about 20 minutes. Hang in there with me. Listen. It is so compelling. May God bless the hearing of his word. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I may preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then... After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. 
But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing, they, they only were hearing it said, quote, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, unquote. And they glorified God because of me. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, I set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God, God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I die to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Oh, foolish Galatians, chapter 3, verse 1. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. 
Let me ask you only this. Did, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, quote, and you shall, in you shall all the nations be blessed, end quote. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, quote, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them, end quote. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for, quote, the righteous shall live by faith, end quote. But the law is not of faith, rather, quote, the one who does them shall live by them, end quote. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, quote, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, end quote, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even when a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified, now the promises were made. Uh, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, "quote and to offsprings," end quote, referring to many, but referring to one. "quote and to your offspring," end quote, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years after, word does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ's, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, chapter 4, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. 
but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we may receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's, but now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I, be, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It's always good to be made up much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me. You who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother, for it is written, quote, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband, end quote. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Quote, cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman, end quote. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Chapter 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. 
I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You were severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. That was just a time. Nobody's really calling. Let me start back in chapter 5 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that, you accept that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith, working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, chapter 6. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. 
But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and in and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it for me to boast except, boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Let's pray together. God, on the very outset of this sermon series in the book of Galatia, we are asking you to do things that only you can do God, would you clarify for all of us the true gospel? God, would you make us fluent in gospel? God, would you convince us through your word of our gospel identity purchased through the blood of Jesus? God, would you help us to understand what it means to be justified and to be adopted God, would you unite us despite our different social classes, despite the different races in the room, different education levels, different neighborhoods. God, would you unite us through this gospel? God, would you show us how to walk by the Spirit and fulfill the law of Christ. And as we do, would you expose our legalism? Would you expose our licentiousness? So that we may walk in love. God, I pray that you would use this sermon series, the book of Galatians, to make us glad. That God, we would sing to you praises. We would glory in your name as a church, singing gospel songs, singing of what you've done for us in Jesus, singing of our justification and our adoption, singing of your glory. God, would you, would you use the book of Galatians in all of its gospel freedoms to make us shout glory? Thank you, God. Lord, would you give us more and more songs to sing that capture the depth and breadth of our gratitude to you and what you've done for us 
in Christ Jesus. God, would you help us to live in the freedom of the gospel that enables us to live and keep living for your glory and for the good of others. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.